December 19th, 2022. We're in Masechet If you count down in the wide lines, uh, it's three lines down, just the second word on the line. Uh, quickly, the context here in our Gemara is the Gemara begins with the words, Lema The Gemara is suggesting that the following statement from a Beraita or Beraitot will be parallel to the conversation we were having earlier in the Gemara. The discussion specifically, the disagreement, was about whether we have a hekesh, whether we link up the halacha with regards to kilala, to that of haka'a. What I mean by that specifically is the Torah says, v'nasibe'amecha lotaor. The Torah makes explicit in the eyes of the hachamim that the only person for whom you have death penalty, with regard, or rather you have hayuv with regards to Cursing them is if they're ba'amecha. It's specifically and only if they are a member of your nation, which means to say, in the words of the hachamim, if they're a rasha, if they're a sinner, although you shouldn't be doing that to anyone, certainly. Um, nonetheless, you're not liable for the hayuv of the Torah. That's clear when it comes to kilala. When it comes to haka'a, when it comes to striking them, and as the Mishnah told us at the top of the Amud, and you gave them a habura, does that likewise only apply to an individual who's not a sinner? He's osei ma'asei ammecha. Well, the Torah never says explicitly that you're not allowed to strike and bruise a person who's ba'amecha. The Torah just says, don't strike a person. That being the case, the question is, do we link the halakha with regards to kilala, that it needs to be specifically or not. We had that until now as a mahloket, a mahlok between Tanaim, rabbis from the time of the Mishnah. Says the Gemara, we have two other... What's that? The Gemara earlier in our Masechet dealt with the fact that it's not only Nasi. We derive from that, but we had a Mamasinu, we had a Binyanav to apply it to all. But that being the case, says the Gemara, Lema shall we suggest... And anytime you see the Gemara use such a word, shall we suggest, the answer is going to be not so fast. Uh, so you're not saying this is so, you're saying should we suggest, Hane, these Tana'e, these Tana'im, these rabbis from the time of the Shana we've been dealing with until now, Kehane Tana'e, they're parallel, they align with the other, or these Tana'im. Who are these Tana'im? The Gemara explains it to us. It says we have two seemingly directly uh, contradictory Beraitot. Detane Hada, one Beraita says, Kuti ata misuve al hakaato, vi ata misuve al kilato, vetanya idah, i ata misuve lo al kilato, velo al hakaato. The Beraitot contradict one another or disagree with one another in the following way. They're dealing with kutim. Kutim, as we mentioned, the Navi talks about them. It's a group which Sanheriv brought to settle Are Hashomron. Now, they gave trouble to Am Yisrael at specific points. Now, what we do understand and know is that they converted. They converted because of, we know this as well, because of their fear of lions of some sort. They were fearful of threat of some sort from God. Well, that being the case, there's always a debate, as the Gemara will make clear afterwards, whether Kutim are Gere Emet or Gere Arayot. Was their initial conversion a proper conversion? And only afterwards we said that they began sinning. Or alternatively, they were never proper conversion properly converted. They should always be treated as non-Jews. And that's why they were sinning. They were never really a part of this. All right, that's a conversation. The Gemara at this point is assuming they were Gere Emet. It's assuming they're full-fledged converts. Well, that being the case, look at them. Imagine them. They were sinning. They were sinning. They're in all. They're part of your nation. 
not really a part of your nation because they're not doing the mitzvot. They're not performing and observing the, uh, the, the sins and the, and the commandments of the Torah. Of that being the case, we have the two beraitot. Now, one beraita says that when it comes to kuti, you're not commanded um, with regards to cursing them. You're allowed to curse them. Alternatively, that beraita says you're not allowed to strike them. That's Beraita number one. Beraita number two says, You're not commanded neither uh, to abstain from striking them nor even from, uh, from cursing them. Both are permitted. What's the what's that what's on what's on the table over here? What's the disagreement between these two beraitot? They're not just picking their opinions out of a hat. They have a reason for their opinions. The Gemara suggests that they're disagreeing about this issue. The issue is goes like this: We assume that the Kutim, these people from that nation of Kuta, they had a good conversion. We call that Gere Emet. The question then is. Even though they're even though they're not acting appropriately after their conversion, how much, to what extent, do we extend the Torah's ability to give us the permissibility with regards to kilala to hataa? Do we say that only by kilala when I see But when it comes to hakaa striking, it would apply to all. Or alternatively, do we link the two together? It says the Gemara Savrua, our assumption was, everyone, both Beraitot agreed, Kutim Gere Emetin. The assumption was at this point when we, when we had those words, everybody agrees, both of these Beraitot, that Kutim are Gere Emet. My love, what should we not suggest? In other words, what should we suggest? This is what stands at the core of this mahluk, this dispute between these two Beraitot. The The second beraita assumes that the same way the Torah the Torah specifically says that kilala is applicable only to non-sinners. So too we do that by hakaa. We call that a hekesh. Umor savar. But the other opinion, the first beraita, disagrees and says lamakshinan hakaa liklala. We don't have that hekesh. The Torah says specifically and only by kilala. It's be'amecha by hakaa. It doesn't matter who it is. And as a result, you'd be misuveh. That's the suggestion of the Gemara. So we were able to align these two opinions we've been dealing with with two other Beraitos. Says Gemara. What's that? Why not? No, no, no. It means you're not to strike it. Means you're not commanded not to be mekalel him. Right, the words misuveh al hakato, not that. Right, on the, is, on the isur hakaa. When we talk about kalala and hakaa, we're talking about the isur. You're not misuveh on the isur, or you are misuveh on the isur, not to do it. No, we're never commanded, uh, not even to Amalek, are we supposed to curse them? Anyway, it says the Gemara over here, look, this is not a proper alignment. You should not assume that there's a symmetry between these Beraitot and the opinions we saw earlier. Uh, we can, uh, we can uh, in, in a valid way, argue that everyone agrees that we should distinguish, generally speaking, by a member seemingly of Am Yisrael, who happens to be a sinner. Okay, we turn to that person. You're not allowed to uh, strike them, but you are allowed to curse them. Uh, that's, uh, everybody agrees to that. We don't know Hekesh. And how come when it comes to Kutim, one opinion says that you're even allowed to strike them? Ve'hacha, and over here in this issue of the Kutim, be'hakamiflege, on this, 
they are split, they're disagreeing. Mor savar kutim gere emeten, umor savar kutim gere arayoten. The dispute, the mahlok between these two beraitot is what the status, what the quality of the, of, of the kutim is in the first place. Do we assume that they were gere emet? If they're gere emet, it means they have the status of a member of Am Yisrael. Therefore, if they're a sinner, Okay, when it comes to klala, you're not mitzvah. When it comes to haka'ah, you are mitzvah. When it comes to the isur, the prohibition of cursing, you're not, uh, you're not bound. When it comes to the isur, the prohibition of striking them, you are bound, even though they're sinners. That's if you assume they're gere emet. If they're gere arayot, meaning they only did this through the, th- the threat, the fear of those lions that were going to attack them, they were never Jews in the first place, well, then all's on the table with regards to permissibility. I want you to be careful. I don't want you to get in trouble from the governmental officials and so forth. But in terms of binding halachot from the Torah, there's no sivui on the isur of haka'ah or kilala with regards to non-Jews. Says the Kemara, but wait a second. I have one last challenge on this because effectively what you've tried to tell me then is the dispute between these two beraitot is about how we qualify uh, these kutim. Truth is, Charlie on Friday pointed out that if the debate was really just about hekesh, about whether haka'ah and kalala are the same, why are you talking about kutim? No, it's the issue, if it has nothing to do with the quality and the stature of the kutim, so tell me, one beraita says uh, you are, you're not allowed to strike or to, or to um, and you are allowed to curse, and the other one says they're both permitted. Why are you talking about kutim? It seems like there's something else going on. In truth, the Gemara is going to suggest that in a moment. I mean, just did suggest that says the Gemara Ihache, but now I have a, now I have a question. Hainu de Katane Allah Vishoro ki Israel. But wait a second, you're telling me, uh, if I understood you correctly, you have two opinions over here whether the Kutim are Gere Emet or Gere Arayot, but I have a statement with regards to these Beraitot that they're sure. What's a sure? It's an axe has the same status, same halachot as Yisrael. I'll pause for a second. What's the, what are we talking about? Oxen. If anyone learned Masechet Bavakama, if anyone studied a little bit in Parashat Mishpatim, you're familiar with this. When we talk about an, uh, a property that damages, we talk about oxen. That's the way it used to happen uh, once upon a time. And here are the basic laws. If, uh, if an ox um, damages for the first three times, it's what's considered shortam. And they pay hatsinezik, they pay half uh, with regards to that which they damaged. If they do it beyond that, they're considered shor mu'ad. That means that we assume the owner should have been more cautious and they have to pay full amount. If it's a, uh, if, if it damages a, uh, a Jew, that's when those halachot apply. If it damages a non-Jew, so then they're not liable. Again, governmental laws, dinah de melchutah dinah, don't get too nervous over here. We're talking about in a theocracy in Israel once upon a time or once in time. Anyway, but that's the statement, that's the halakha. What about if a non-Jewish ox gores uh, and, and damages property of Yisrael? In that circumstance, there's no leniency the first three times. They have to pay the full amount throughout, no matter what the circumstances. So again, we have specific halachot when it comes to, and it's not fully important for us, the actual halachot right now, when it comes to a, an ox uh, of uh, Yisrael which gores and it's a question of who it gores as, as a, not only the gore and that which got gored as well there are different halachot that get split with regards to if it's owned by Yisrael or by a non-Jew what's the status of kutim? 
So you'd say to me, it's dependent. Are kutim gere emet or they gere arayot? If they're gere emet, then their ox is the same status as Yisrael. Both if it got gored or if it gores, that's going to be the halacha. If they're gere arayot, it's not so. Here's the strange statement. The, we're not going to apply it over there. No, we're not going to apply it because the best we have is a hekesh of haka'ataklala, not to your property damaging. It says that we have a beraita though that says, Vishoroki Israel, their ox has the identical status as Israel. What are you talking about? It has identical status to Israel. That should be dependent. Only if you hold, get emet, not get. Seems that everyone assumes that they are get emet. Oh, if that's the case, then we have to kick it back a step, go back one step, and assume then what's the dispute? How come one beraita says that they're misuve, that we're mitzuve al, al hakaato velo al kililato, and the other one says we're not mitzuve on either one? If they have the status of Yisrael, if my ox scores theirs, if their ox scores that way, if they have the same status, they're gereemet. Why should I distinguish between them? Why does one beraita have the opinion that I'm even allowed to strike them? You're not allowed to strike them. What's, what's going on over here? Ela says Rather, it must be that those two beraitot indeed do dispute. What is their conflict? What's the mahlokit all about? About whether we make a hekesh from kilala to haka'a That is the final line over here, which means to say we have two beraitot, and in turn, we had earlier two opinions about whether we apply the same laws that you have in that unique situation of kilala, or specifically to haka'a as well. It's a little bit disheartening, a little bit difficult to wrap your head around, certainly in the contemporary modern sense, and that I'm allowed to, and I'm allowed to, and should is two separate things, needless to say. Liability and permissibility is two separate things as well, but effectively that is the conversation here in our Gemara from the strict legal sense with regards to this hekesh from kilala to haka'a. Okay, the next Mishnah brings us into, I wish I could say, a little bit peachier fields, but not really. Now we're talking about kidnapping. We finished with uh, cursing and striking, we're up to kidnapping over here. Hagonev nefesh mi Israel. It was the next in the list of the at the Mishnah at the beginning of this pedic of those who you're hayav henek. You're liable to the death penalty of strangulation if you were to do so. It was a person who kidnaps. What's the halacha? How do you define kidnapping? Eno hayav lirshuto. It's specifically an only hayav. Again, hayav mita, hayav henek. You're not allowed to kidnap. Or, Perspective of the circumstances, but you only hayav chenek if you stole and brought it into your possession. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, ad shiachnisenu lirshuto v'yishtameshbo. Rabbi Yehuda continues and he says, it's not only bringing it into your possession, it's bringing it into your possession and using it. Shene'emar, he quotes the pasuk which says, ki matzeish gonev nefesh me'echav m'neisel v'hit'amerbo. That word, vihit amerbo, and Rashi, the first Rashi on the Gemara, you look on the left hand side, says, imun means shimush, it means using. Well, that being the case, he says, I have an explicit pasuk, just taking it out of the possession of the other is not sufficient, it's taking it out of the possession of the other and using him or her as well. Now, that's the first statement to Beraita. Who said it needs to change ownership? It needs to change uh, uh, where it is? In other words, I need to take it from their home or from their locale into mine? You might say it's just logical. It's not considered stealing otherwise. Rashi quotes from the Midrash, from Michilta, that there's a pasuk that we're deriving this from. If you look on the left-hand side, Rashi says, Dikhtiv, as the pasuk says in Parashat Mishpatim, in the context of, Gonev nefesh v'nimsa So the pasuk says, it's found in your hand. 
and uh, it's still not enough. V'tanya b'mechilta and mechilta that's mitrash halacha and shemot says v'nimsa that word v'nimsa and mitzia b'chomakom ele be'edim. It's found means there was testimony. There's witness. Biyado. What about that word? So there's testimony. Furthermore, it's in your hand. And biyado ela bershuto the derashav the bera of of the midrashes. Biyado in your hand means in your possession. V'chenu omer v'ikach et kol arso. Miyado. That's a, that's a description of Milchemet Sihon described in Sefer B'midbar. And uh, the description over there is that they took the land and it means it came, became part of their possession. And with that being the case, Biyado, in his hand, the Torah unnecessarily says, and if you stole, if a person steals another soul and it's found in his hand, what's in his hand? Says the Midrash, I'll tell you, that's very important. It means you're not in their home holding on to them hostage situation. You grab them and brought them to another place which is yours that then and only then are you liable Rabbi Uda continues and he says not only you moved a location from theirs to yours which effectively transfers to a certain extent to ownership but more than that you used them for some some constructive purpose we'll talk a little bit about that more in the Gemara okay the Mishnah has a few more cases to discuss what about Hagonevet Beno Scary and terrible thought, but if a person kidnaps their own child, what's the halakha? Now we're going to see a mahluk in the Gemara. We'll explain the reasoning over here. So it's a mahluk between Biohanam ben Biro, excuse me, Rabbi Ishmael and Hachamim about whether Hayav or Patu. We just have to accept that for now. We'll deal with the rationale and reasoning in the Gemara. What's that? And we'll deal with that in the Gemara, but even a child, I'll, t- I'll tell you from now. Anyway, Ganav, uh, you can't find this anywhere but Mishnah. If you find an individual who's half slave, half free. How do you find someone who's half slave, half free? And what do you, uh, how do you determine that? It means he was owned by partners. One of the partners relinquished his ownership. He freed the person. The other person is holding on to it. You call that Believe it or not, we talk about this quite often because conceptually that's a fascinating situation. The same way in our last Gemara we talked about an androgynos, a tumtum, a person who you can't see or what, their, what their organ is, if they're male or female, a person who has both. You say that's too out there, but conceptually it helps you crystallize the halakha. When you want to test out what's the true nature of a law, you have to find those outlandish cases in order to test it. Anyway, here you have it. We're not going to explain why in the Mishnah, but we're going to suggest, we're going to present the Mahlok on this as well. Okay, says the Gemara, let's deal with the first. We'll deal with that as well in the Gemara. The Mishnah didn't tell us about that. The Gemara will say explicitly that's mutar. That's right. The Gemara will say explicitly that's mutar, but uh, give it a minute or two. Says the Gemara, all right, uh, now that we've been uh, dealing with uh, several cases in the Mishnah, let's turn it back to the first one. The first one in the Mishnah was this mahloket, seeming mahloket between Rabbi and Hachamim about whether in addition to shinui reshu, changing location, taken from one possession to the others, uh, do you need to have shimush, that imur? Rabbi Yudha pointed to a pasuk. So says the Gemara, according to Tanakama, the first opinion here in our Mishnah, Tana means, uh, means rabbi from the Mishnah, Kama means first. If you have an anonymous name over here, you had the first opinion, then you had Rabbi Uda disagrees. We call that first opinion one of two names. Either we call Hachamim, 
And so as the rabbis, or alternatively, we say it's the first opinion, Tanakama. Anyway, says the Gemara of Tanakama, Laba'emur. The first opinion here in our Mishnah doesn't need there to be uh, using that person who was stolen, um, or kidnapped, ultimately speaking. The Pasuk does, vitam, says, does say, Vitamir, but Amar bi Aha Imur, Pahot Mishave Peruta Ika Benayo, period. Says the Gemara, says this opinion, the Gemara of he says the issue that lies at stake over here is not about whether in kidnapping there also needs to be a usage. Everyone agrees to that. Everyone agrees to that. I thought the Mishnah said it's only the Biyotah's opinion. question is if you do some sort of very low-level activity. It's what you call activity. In other words, if the person, if you ask a person to do you a favor, I don't know, there's a, there's a bondsman. Once upon a time, there's people who are... They still are, for service. You can hire them to do jobs for you. And so you're walking by and there's a person on the street and he's lined up together with others in order to hire them for service. And so you say, can I bother you for a minute? Sure. I say, could you pick that up? That might just drop my pen. You're nervous, your pants are too tight or something like that. He bends down, he hands you your pen. And then as he hands it back, he says, $100. $100, what are you talking about? He said, that was worth pennies. That's no shave peruta. That's called an activity. It's no shave peruta. He said, did you a favor. He can't demand any money for that. If he could, it's pennies. It's less than a peruta. It's really very, very low-level job. Took nothing out of his time, his energy, and so forth. Okay, let's say a person kidnaps another, and they do that sort of small activity with them. Very small, they grab them, they bring them to possession, and they're about to sell them to another person. Of course, that needs to be a next stage, which we'll address over here. Uh, but before doing so, or uh, you know, anything, uh, the kidnap, or before uh, recapturing him, uh, just did a me- very low-level activity. What's the halakha in that situation? According to the hachamim, uh, the Gemara is suggesting for us, uh, that's a mahluk, that is the mahluk between the Buddha and hachamim. How so? Well, says, says the Gemara, that, that's what they're, that's that's what they're debating. According to the Bihuda, it needs to be a full level activity. Since the Pasuk says, it means it needs to be a high level. According to the Hachamim, even a Melacha She'ena Shave Peruta would be sufficient in, in such a circumstance. And that's what the Gemara has a, a mahluk between those two. So it means to say everybody does agree there needs to be a Hishtam Shut. The only question is, does it need to be a Shave Peruta or not? So, Kidnapping for ransom without using before ransoming. That's, that's why uh, it's not fine. You're just not going to be put to death for it. None of this is fine. That's a question of whether you're going to be hayav hainik. Strangely, there are going to be a few others that, at least in my mind, philosophically are hard to fully understand. I was, why should that, is that really so much worse? So I got him to do a, a $5 job. I don't know. That's, that's not, back to the loopholes, Jeffrey. Yeah, I don't. Now, there's going to be a few others in the Gemara. I'm going to have difficulty articulating what the logic is. It's a shame we don't have Jared. He always helps us with that. It says Gemara Ba'ir Bir Mia. had the following dilemma. What about the halakha Genavo Umecharo Yashin Mahu? Macharisha Leubera Mahu. What about one of the following two cases? If a person stole, kidnapped another, but it's while he's sleeping. And he never dealt with him. He never did any real work with him. And sold off while he's sleeping. Is he liable for death penalty? Alternatively, it's a woman, but you're not using the woman. The sale is on the, the, the next sale in stealing this woman is for the uh, value of her baby. She's pregnant for her uba. So she was never sold. She was done. The first one, they didn't 
Both of these cases, you didn't do any work with the baby, and you certainly didn't do any work with the sleeping person. Yes, derech imur bekach or en derech imur bekach. Can you consider that work hishtamshut or not? What type of question is that? Says Gemara vetrifukle. I'll answer it. Delekaimur kilal. You want to know is that the way of working and using the person? What do you mean way of working and using the person? You didn't use them. He's sleeping. You can't use a sleeping person. Doing nothing. Can't use a baby. It's doing nothing. What type of question is that? Says the Gemara latzirich. Uh, the, the, the dilemma is as follows. If you use the, le- the, the sleeping person to lean on, uh, maybe that's Shaveh Peruta, that's certainly Shaveh Peruta, but more than that, is that considered using them? They're sleeping, you're just leaning on them. They don't even realize you're leaning on them. You bought them when they're, you kidnapped them while they're sleeping, and then you leaned on them, you used them as a pillow. Is that derechimur? And what about the woman who's pregnant? What do you use the baby for? You used it, says the Gemara, ukma, you, you placed her and the baby, be'apezika, zika means wind, in the place of the wind. The wind was blowing in, you needed to, to put a cork to the hole in your wall, so you put the pregnant woman over there and you had her baby block it. Is that considered derechimur or not? Not. That's the Ba'ir Birmiya. That's the question that we had over here in the Gemara. That's what he wanted to know. Uh, is this considered Derech Imur or not? Says the Gemara, Mai, what's the halacha teku? The matter stands, we don't have an answer to that. All right, it's an interesting question. It's an interesting debate to be had. What's the definition with regards to using and why is it that you're using as a necessary part of this? Is it because you use them and you shame them by using them? Is that what the angle over here? You're not per se shaming in this circumstance the baby nor the sleeping person or is it just something about by using the individual you've brought them down? What's the logic? What's the underpinnings of when the Torah tells you that you need to be mitamer? That might really be what the teku is. We're uncertain what is the definition of Using them, using them because by definition, using is a diminishment of their stature, of their kabod, of their, of, of their of innate honor, or is it alternatively that they felt it? That might be the take. Uh, further delineates laws with regards to Gonev um, Nefesh. Uh, the Pasuk that we mentioned earlier, Ki Ish. Gonev Nefesh Me'ehav Mi Israel. Now listen again to the Pasuk. Ki Ish. Now, we had earlier in our Gemara when it says Ish Ish. Ish Ish is Marben, not only men, but women as well. Ki Ish sounds as if the only person who would be liable for a death penalty for kidnapping is a man. Eliela Ish Sheganav. All I know is that if a man is the one who did the kidnapping, he's Hayav Mita. Isha how do I know to include a woman as well? After all, the pasuk just says ki matzeish talmud lomar. That's the continuation of the pasuk, or, or, or rather, a different pasuk. Vigonev ish. Now the pasuk over there says vigonev ish in parashat mishpatim. Vigonev ish umcharov in imsa biyado motiumat. It says vigonev. Vigonev is general. It says uh, whether a woman or a man. Who would they steal? Ish. All right, well, so we have something interesting that has developed then. Let's pay attention again. Ki ish gonev nefesh. Let's define these words. Ish means a man. Nefesh means a soul, man or f- male or female. So if a man stole a male or female, hayav mitah. Next pasuk that we've dealt with. Vigonev, male or female. Ish, male. So now if I'm to make my chart on the board over here, I understand that if a male steals, kidnaps, whether a male or female, liable. 
female, only thing I see in the Pasuk is if they were Gonev, Ish, only if they stole a, fi- a male. And Liela, Ish, Sheganav, Ben Isha, Ben Ish, Isha, Sheganva, Ish. Now what I've, de- what I've derived, what I've uh, mapped out from my Psukim is, it says, Ish, Kimatse Ish, Gonev, Nefesh, means both male and female stolen by a male. But then I have a pasuk gonev ish is female, but specifically stealing, kidnapping a man. How do I know? Or maybe I don't know. Isha she ganva isha minayin. Is there a liability to death penalty if a female, if a woman uh, kidnaps a, a woman? Tamud lomar umet haganav hahu mikol makom. It says the continuation of the pasuk talks. It refers to this person who kidnapped as hagonev. Hagonev is uh, both male or female, man or woman, and as a result, irrespective of who did the stealing, irrespective of who was kidnapped, there's liability to death penalty. Tanya idach, we have a different beraita. Ki ish gonev nefesh me'ehav. This beraita now, again, goes back to that pasuk. Ehada gonev ish, ve'ehada gonev Okay, so so far we understand the pasuk says if you stole, if you kidnapped nefesh. Nefesh is a reference to both man or woman. Ve'ehad ger, or even if it's a convert. Ve'ehad eved meshuchrar, or a slave which is free, Charlie. Ve'ekatan, or a child, hayav. Because halachically speaking, Torah speaking, an Eved doesn't have the same stature as Nefesh. If a person kidnapped but didn't then sell, or alternatively, I kidnapped, exactly Jeffrey's case, for ransom. I'm in the other person's house. I'm not touching them, I'm not going near them. I was kidnapped and I'm, I'm, I'm hostage. I'll, I'll relinquish him in their house. For uh, $10 million. What's that? In that situation as well, you haven't transferred ownership with regards to location. Patur. These are difficult. These are difficult philosophically, at least for me. What's that? No, no, no. No, no. No, no, no. Again, it's, who, who, who's you? The kidnapper or the kidnapped? No, no, no. It's... No, 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 not like that. It's Adayim Birshuto, it's still in the Rashut of uh, the Nignav. Look at Rashi at the bottom. Adayim Yeshno Birshuto, Birshut HaNignav Atzmo. You're still in the possession of the kidnapped person. If it's in your possession already, Chalas, it's in your possession, you sold it, it's done. What's that? Hostage. Re- redefine the word, Gonev. Yeah. Now, you might ask Rashi and the Mishnah needed a whole derasha to get this over here. It seems Pashut. I saw in the back Rasha asked that question. Maybe we're going off the derasha. But ultimately speaking, that's the halakha. What's that? He's not a good guy. Shouldn't be the. I mean, there is punishment, you're going to get lashes, there might even be financial liability for, with regards to any damage that are incurred, but no death penalty, yeah. I, again, I, that, as I mentioned to you earlier, there's a few halakhot over here philosophically, I don't know how to fully wrap myself, or, you know, ta'ameha mitzvah, or avira. Okay, mecharo ve'adayin yeshno b'rshuto patur. Mecharo, what if the person, here's where it gets maybe even more difficult to understand, just as much. Mecharo le'avivo le'ehav. What if the person was sold, not to uh, another party outside of uh, his orbit, but to, you know, the whole family can't stand him, but they can't get their hands on him, so you kidnap and you sold, as a result of the kidnapping, to the father of the kidnapped person, or to his brother, or to a different relative, Hayav. 
Okay, over there you're Hayav. So far, not hard to understand. What about Hagonevet Avadim Patur? Let's go back to that issue. Uh, or rather, let's just finish with that. Hago- I'm sorry, that's a conclusion. Hagonevet Avadim Patur, kidnapping from uh, uh, of a, a slave. Uh, patur, okay, it's not that it's not something that we want you to be doing, but if you did so, you're not Hayav Mita, okay. That's what we have in our Biraita. Yes, Eved Ivri is Yisrael. It's only Eved Kena'ane. We're not going to talk about Eved Ivri. Tanetana Kameder Rav Sheshat says the Gemara, there was, a, uh, there, there was an Emora who knew many Beraitot and uh, used to recite them. We've talked about this more than once. The way it used to work during the time of the Gemara is the rabbi would be present, and the rabbi who was leading the study group, and then there'd be different students. And oftentimes the students were proficient. They knew Beraitot. They knew teachings that weren't in the Mishnah. And one would get up and say, this is what I remember, this is what I meant. Memorized. Rabbi, can you explain it to me? And then the rabbi would deal with it and explain it and sometimes edit it. So that's what this is. There was uh, one of these rabbis or students who spoke up and quoted the following in front of Rav Sheshat. Uh, says the Gemara, that Beraita that we just mentioned, which says that if the kidnapping was done and then sold to the father of the individual, what we mentioned, we said Hayav, says Rav Sheshat, but I alternatively have a teaching, and my teaching is that Rabbi Shimon says that since the Pasuk says that it was stolen, from his brethren, so the understanding is it was taken from his brethren and moved to a different side of, uh, of, of the community. Not his brethren, not his family members. Says Rabbi Shimon, if he were to sell to one of the family members, Patur. Uh, says, says Rav Sheshat, I'm listening to you and you're saying if you sold it to the father, the, the person that you stole, you're Hayav. My teaching from Rabbi Shimon is Patur, the Dirashav Rabbi Shimon, Me'ehav. Uh, what's the problem? Uh, we've never heard of more than one opinion. I'll say that's the opinion of Rabbi Shimon, and this is the opinion of someone else. Says the Gemara, and, and as a result, Rav Sheshat wanted to change the wording of the Beraita. He said, "I think you had it wrong, young student or old student. You said that the halacha is hayav. That's the way you remember it. Fix that." Tane patur. Says the Gemara, "My kushya. What was so difficult for Rav Sheshat? Dilma, maybe had Rabbi Shimon had a banan. Maybe that was the opinion of Rabbi Shimon. That's what you know, Rav Sheshat. This Beraita." is the opinion of Hachamim. Truth is, Rabbi Hayyaz specifically, he organized a whole set of Tosef Tot, and he had a whole organization. But over here, really, what we're referring to, this teaching of, and this is very important for the continued few lines here in the Gemara, is a derasha from a book called Sifre. Very, very briefly, because it can be relevant in just a second here in the Gemara. When it comes to Midrash Halakha, not the Midrashim that we oftentimes quote with the stories and interpretations of storylines in the Torah, but rather the determination from the Pesukim about what the Halakha is. Uh, so we have a whole set of books, they're called Midrash Halakha, on Shemot, it's called Mechilta. You take the Pesukim from Parashat Mishpatim, from Parashat, and you learn Halakhot from them, that's what we have in Mechilta. And then you have, uh, for, for Vayikra, you have a book called Sifra. That's so alternatively known.
known as Torah Kohanim, Midrash Halakha, from the many Halachot, similar to the Gemara. It's rabbis from the time of the Mishnah recorded in there, that's Sifra. Then you have the Midbar and Devarim, that's called Sifre, which means the books. It's the Midbar and Devarim. Okay, that being the case, this Derasha, you might notice the Pasuk is found in Sefer Devarim. This Derasha that Rav Sheshat is reporting in the name of Rabbi Shimon really would be found in Sifre, it's a derashan pasuk in Devarim. Says the Gemara, and we'll read it together in, uh, next week, but just qu- uh, tomorrow, I mean, but just for a second, let me tell you the way it works over here is, we know that when you have a statement in Sifre, a statement that's anonymous, it's, it's recorded in Sifre, you open up the book, and it doesn't say whose opinion is, we know that is the opinion of Rabbi Shimon. That's our tradition. Well, that being the case, Rav Sheshat can't say, well, I have a tradition from Rabbi Shimon. What you quoted from Sifre, that must be someone else. Can't be. The author of Sifre, if it doesn't say it, if it's an anonymous statement, is none other than Rabbi Shimon. It's for that reason the Gemara will tell us that Rav Sheshat says, flips it and says, instead of saying Hayav, it should be Patur. The lines that you'll have here in the Gemara are very fundamental lines because the Gemara will tell us when you have a Stam Mishnah, Mishnah that's anonymous. It's a very famous Gemara. Who's the author of it? It's Rabbi Meir. When you have a sifra that's anonymous, who's the author? When you have sifra that's anonymous, who's the author of it? Now, this is the only place, the best of my knowledge in Gemara, you have that sort of statement. It tells you the authorship of many of these other books, at least in the eyes of the Hachamim. But again, in our context, we understand why.